Hello, before we get started this week, a quick request and announcement. Request, please give us reviews. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Go on Apple Podcasts and leave a review, please, so that we can show the podcast to more people. Um, also, if you send us an email with any requests or anything like that, there is a great chance that we will incorporate it into the show. This episode is a listener-requested author um, who I had totally forgotten about. I love one of her books very much. Love it as a kid. Love it now. We're covering it in like a minute. Thank you, Dan, for the suggestion. We really appreciate it. It's like audience participation, only not terrifying and a scarring experience that you will remember in dark times for the rest of your life. When you wind up on stage with a badly dressed magician who has you locked in a purple box, you can't quite recall how your life led you to that point. No, yeah, exactly. No shame, only joy. That's what lies in making Dragon Baby's requests. The announcement is stay tuned because we are going to have... You know, not only this full-length book episode and another one, but a special episode this month because I am going to London and I'm going to go to the Terry Pratchett exhibit that is currently running at the Museum of Salisbury. Learned how to pronounce Salisbury next last week, so I'm I'm ready for anything. Telling me how to pronounce many (laughs) British things. I'm ready for anything. This is my first time traveling to the UK, so super excited. Um, Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Really excited. And now the episode. Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics Mm. and hope to share them with the world. Get everyone rereading them. Yes. This week, we are covering The Enchanted Castle by E. Nesbitt. This is the oldest book that we've done. Yes. By far. I didn't. I actually checked when it, they started talking in such charming Brit speak. So archaic. I know. <laughs> how, how old it was. Um, First published in 1907. Yes. It is from 1907. Uh, written by E. Nesbitt. Um, technically Edith Nesbitt, but she used the popular technique of using an initial for your first name because you're a woman and Mm. the public is not ready for you to be an author. Um, Very quickly before we talk about the book, Inesbit was a fascinating figure. She started writing to support her family because her husband was not only a philanderer, but also just relatively useless and a jerk. He was really only good at getting uh, women who weren't his wife, pregnant and he was a character from a December song (laughs) there are all kinds of awful things that happen with that husband but throughout it she became a prolific and successful children's author there are a few different things about her books that were relatively unique and revolutionary at the time one is that she wrote books about children that weren't necessarily strictly for children Mm. Um, and they also take place in the real world for the most part, but incorporate magical elements in a way that feels natural from most of the books that we've done. Right. And at the time her contemporaries uh, were like Lewis Carroll and uh, Kenneth Graham, who did Wind in the Willows Mm -hmm. um, stories that are very specifically 
in magical worlds and the children learn their lessons within the magical realms, but then at the end go home and they're just kids again, you know, maybe a little wiser, but they're not really, excuse me, they're not really applying the lessons they learn to the real world. Whereas in this book, they get PTSD from their experiences. They're constantly concerned about having enough money to get all the food that they need. We're going to get to that later. Warning, this is going to be a supersized pretend food because I am confident that food is the driving force of this narrative. Inesbit <laughs> is after Grace's heart, truly. Amazing. I, I, I have not been happier. I Yeah, okay, more on that later. <laughs> uh, yeah, worried about money, practical things like getting from point A to point B, avoiding the law, um, telling the truth to elders and each other and just generally learning about being good people within the confines of their own world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's super interesting. Other cool thing about Inesbit is that she helped, she was one of the founding members of the Fabian society in England. Sorry, Fabian Fabian. I'm not sure I'm, I am American as you know. Um, it was founded in 1884 by nine different people, herself and her husband included, and it was an early British socialist organization that helped uh, found, you know, its roots led to the Labour Party oh. in the future. Um, and they were very interested in things like minimum wage and universal health care. Um, and I feel that some of these ideas creep into the unreliable narrator who editorializes throughout this book with their ideas about how children should be living and what their schools should be like and what they should be thinking about. Um, And it's refreshingly um, open and modern, Mm -hmm. actually surprisingly modern. I was very surprised. And throughout the book, I just kept thinking that politically she was very progressive yeah this book feels more contemporary than many of the newer books that we've read I really think that you can see Inesbet's influence on many different I I like that her name is Inesbet because it's comfortable to just say it all at once I'm always confused about whether I should be calling authors by their first or last name and I feel like I'm being too casual and informal if I'm just like oh Tamara um I always do Inesbet feels good feels strong um so, pen name tips. If anyone's looking for one, use an initial for your first name. All, all I could think of was uh, Buzz Lightyear because that's his. That's his, <laughs> that's his name when he goes Mrs. crazy. Nesbitt. Yes, when he goes crazy oh, and thinks that he's like an yeah, old lady. Associates. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I'm. Mrs. Nesbitt. Mrs. Nesbitt. Wow, I haven't watched Toy Story in a really long time. Anyways. You can see a lot of Nesbitt's influence on other fantasy authors and non-fantasy authors and children's authors and adult authors. I just feel like this book is really special and her writing is special in general. Mm-hmm. Um, C.S. Lewis in particular, The Magician's Nephew, um, which is technically the book that chronologically comes before The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That's the one with the rings in it. Yeah reminded me uh, this reminded me a lot of that uh going back on it there's a there's a a wishing uh, wishing pools or or pool worlds I, I clearly it's been a while i need to revisit pool my chronicles worlds. of narnia pool worlds why didn't they call the book that <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um anyway the, the children in the book visit different lands through a series of pools um and there are just components of tying the 
magical into the natural scenes within the wheel, the wheel world, <laughs> the real world, wheel um, world. That feels really familiar to me. And uh, C.S. Lewis has directly cited her as an influence as well. So interesting because, but her, oh, go ahead. Well, I don't want to harsh your vibe. Oh, the last thing I was going to say is that um, Inazabeth's books were popular in the UK, but never really caught on in the US. Um, there's a really funny piece by from the 60s by Gore Vidal um, that says that it's because Americans are only interested in learning how to do things and fix things and <laughs> like repair their motor vehicles um, <laughs> and are less interested in fantastical concepts and imagining. Um, and I do think that Inez, but is still pretty unpopular in the United States. Um, most of what I found just when doing research about the book, and there wasn't that much to begin with. Um, and then most of it was by British authors hmm. commenting on her works. Well, this relates to what I was going to say, uh, that she is so good at banter it is so enjoyable to read uh, her banter and yes, especially children bantering. Yeah. And sp speaking like adults, but not outrageously. So I yes. mean, the three, okay. Four main children of the book, I guess the only children in the book are precocious, but they're mm -hmm. not outrageous. No, it's not like a DreamWorks movie. <laughs> right. Children speak like 30 year olds. Right. And they, uh, the way they're speaking is, it's really funny in a sardonic way. You often get the feeling that they're... It's that British wit. Yeah, you often get the feeling they're making fun of adults by like yes. being so puffed up and proper yeah. all the time. But then they're also certain ones. I'm not Jimmy, but Jimmy's a jerk. Are very He's concerned. really funny now. <laughs> yeah, he is pretty funny. Rides me a little bit of myself, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Jimmy's the one you identify with. As a child. Just uh, always being uh, like, I'm hungry. Um, when's What's our going on? Coming? <laughs> Why are we still here? <laughs> we need to have the play before dinners. So there's a time that it will end and we can definitely. I think eat. that's an excellent idea. I was like, that is great. Practical thinking, that's my a friend. Great idea, Jimmy. <laughs> Little Jimmy. Um, anyways, yes. Very, very funny writing. And in a way that a lot of kids' books just lack, like they're dull as rocks. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the reason that Americans had a problem with it because it was all in witty Britishisms and they right. were just British, Britishisms. And there are like pop culture references mm -hmm. from the time. Right. Um, and these funny little throwaway moments that inform the story overall because they build these characters, mm -hmm. but they're not quote-unquote necessary yeah um but i loved the characterization of the kids Me especially too. and it's really so funny fun. how thin the adult characters remain while we spend so much time with and really get to know the kids mm -hmm. i feel like the book mocks mocks adults for sure but then also gently mocks children at times mm -hmm. um yes and uh, overall, sometimes it read like satire of a British school children book, like um, yeah, it did the feel pluckiest like boy in school oh, from yes. which we, yes. uh, because there were some terms from that that are used in this, like, uh, I think they, I think they said scrum. I was just going to say, buy scrum. <laughs> well, them saying rum kept reminding, or rummy Rice, yes. kept reminding me That's of that book. That's just rum. <laughs> yeah. I had to look up what rum meant and I realized that I had always thought it was something different. Um, it means something weird oh. or strange. Like 
hurt? I thought it was something positive. No, it's like that's as weird. That's odd. Uh, weird. Okay. Rum. How rum? That's the rummiest thing I've ever heard. Rum, rum. So loved all of that. It's a very smart book. Mm-hmm. Yes. So now that we've covered the context, the political, social context, let's actually talk about the book itself. So, Mads, can you reach it? It's within a, a grasp. Grasp. Page turning. Oh, get it on there. Get it on there. That's what the readers, the listeners, come for. Yep. All right. The front of this book, um, to me, doesn't have too much of a connection to what's in the book. It's one of those. Penguin classic editions where they the one that we have um, choose a like 94 95 they choose a painting a famous painting that they Mm -hmm. pair with a book and it doesn't you know it's related to the theme of the book if you have penguin classics you're familiar with this it's a very Um, pretty painting it's very inoffensive and I actually love this cover so maybe I should talk about it (laughs) you feel lukewarm No, no I don't feel lukewarm I just didn't really um I, I think the picture is beautiful, but I didn't firmly attach it to what happens in the book. Well, it's not the same type of building that is featured. Yeah. It is a, cla- a castle on a cliff. A castle on a cliff um, with these incredible orange and yellow and red tinged clouds and mist sweeping around it. Um, and it looks like a a much grander and more forgotten enchanted castle than yes. the one that the children actually spend. But maybe time that's in. cool because then that's like the eyes through which children see things as more magical than exactly. adults might. And the effect of this cover, um, when I was a kid, I was so drawn in by this book. Mm, okay. I thought that it would hold, yeah, hold something really special. And it did. Let's get our marketing breakdown. What did Penguin have to say about the content of this book? Penguin says... Puffin Classics. It's Puffin, not Penguin. <laughs> <laughs> the Essential Collection. An entrancing combination of magical fantasy with real-life complications. Gerald, Kathy, and Jimmy wake a beautiful princess from her hundred-year sleep in an enchanted garden. It's really only Mabel, the housekeeper's niece, but the garden really is enchanted, and the ring she slips on really is magic. The children find that it takes magic to get everything sorted out. Complete not abridged. <laughs> okay, so I've been liking... Very simple. Yeah, no, that's good. I, and, and I was going to say, I feel like that's just, just what we need to segue into a quick little plot summary. When liking to keep them short and simple. Um, basically... These kids are vacationing for the holidays. They find an estate. They meet a little girl there. They discover a magic ring. And then they set off on a course of adventures because each time they make some kind of magic happen with the ring, it happens in not quite the way that they intended, as is so often the case with magical objects. And they need to correct their mistakes, but in that course, make new ones. It all continues on till the natural end of the story's thread when their French governess and the owner of the estate on which the enchanted castle resides get married because they're long lost lovers. And the children, you know, that that's it. We don't we don't get a happily ever after an epilogue or anything. The book just ends and we're left to imagine what 
Well, it said that they continued to be friends, the the Lord and Lady and the children. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I didn't talk too much about what they actually get up to. So I'd like to start off with a question um, that'll get us into the different abilities of the magical ring. What is your favorite of the wishes or, you know, the unintended wish outcome that the children make in the book? I think that my favorite, like, unintended consequences is when they accidentally wish that the things were alive. Yeah. The ugly wugglies are the best yeah, part of the book. Pretty, pretty fun. <laughs> pretty fun. They build terrifying versions of people so that when they're putting on a play, they feel like they have more they have of an audience. In the audience. And offhandedly wish that they were real so that the applause would be louder. Yes. And then have and then to deal with alive. really horrifying scarecrow bodies yeah. that have not only, you know, a will of their own, but really need to find a good hotel. <laughs> they keep yes, asking about it. Really great. But they don't have properly formed mouths, so it's really hard for them to talk. Yeah. And it's at both disturbing and hilarious, mm-hmm. which I think happens often in this book. It yes. is a really fine line to mm-hmm. straddle. Yeah. But E. Nesbitt does it so well. Good job, E. Nesbitt. Um, yeah, I love the Ugly Wugglies. That, that's my favorite. That's okay. what they call yeah. them. Um, and especially that one of them goes on to make a wish of his own. Yes, to, to find a real. really good hotel. Yeah. Um, and he uh, it becomes a, a person mm-hmm. with a storied career in London. Mm-hmm. Um, then once they manage to do away with him, uh Gerald checks the newspaper to try to see, okay, well, did he actually exist? And he has this great moment of total just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Existential fear when he's like, is he real? Am I real? Is anything real? Uh I don't understand what's magic and what's not and how it's all wrapped up together. Um, because everything has such, it's so many different gray areas mm-hmm. in the book when it comes to, yeah, what's fantasy and what's not. Yeah. Um, and he does find a newspaper story that Mr., uh, what is it? W, or U-W yeah, I think Ugly. Yeah, Ugly. Mr. U, U dot W dot Ugly. Yeah. Um, goes mysteriously missing and yeah. left behind is a series of household items, which we know were used to make that his body out of them. Yes. Um, but and then it just ends with the police have a clue. Yeah. <laughs> and Gerald's like, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Love the ugly wugglies. I think that it's a common story to have children's or adults anyone suddenly have the ability to make wishes Mm -hmm. and for their wishes to not be very specific or well thought out and the wish giver is always kind of scheming and looking for a way to mess with them yeah um so they get trapped in these um half-baked plans Mm -hmm. uh i also love when kathleen turns into a statue yes because it leads to some of the most beautiful moments in the Mm -hmm. book when she and then uh, mabel who also turns herself into a statue so she can take part um run across the the grounds with uh uh, with um apollo yes 
and then have a feast. They hang out with all of the Greek gods. All yeah. the Greek gods who are in their marble statue form, but who mm-hmm. come alive in the moonlight. Yeah, um, yeah and it, God, it's so gorgeous. I feel like she writes pastoral type stuff really, really well, mm-hmm. even though it is, you know, it's, it's on an estate and it's people buy so many things, mm-hmm. statues yeah. and people that show up and ugly wugglies, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much anything you can All imagine. Kinds of stuff. Um, it still feels uh, very like mysteriously lush and the grounds are so sprawling, but there's always new little areas to discover. Mm-hmm. Um, the three kids get trapped on an island because as statues, they can swim, yeah, but they as get left humans, they can't. <laughs> yeah, that was a, <laughs> an overlook on their part. Yeah, but they're just so excited to explore that mm-hmm. they keep winding up in new places. Yeah, and there is also actually almost a dragon there's like the real life version of a dragon, which is a dinosaur, but he comes to life at night because yeah. he's a statue. Yeah, and he's hollow, so they store things yeah. in him. And everyone's <laughs> that's where Kathleen like, gets turned into a statue. Worried about the dinosaurs stomping on them. Right. When Mabel is yeah. she wishes herself twelve meters tall and she's sleeping underneath yes. him covered in leaves and pants. Yes. <laughs> There's no blankets oh for her. I just I love everything that the kids get up to. It's and fun. I appreciate that it's one of those stories where there has to be lax adult supervision so that the mm-hmm. children can go off and get into the interesting right. schemes. Mm-hmm. But in this book, they're very careful to come up with excuses every time someone's not going to show up mm-hmm. because they're invisible. And they're always conscious Or they're going to be late it. for bed. Yeah. And they're always trying to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone in the book is concerned with this same thing, with telling the truth. Um, although the kids have different kind of uh, degrees of morality that they adhere to. Um, and some are more selfish than others. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I, I wondered about that throughout. Um, I thought it was one of the... Uh, more unique aspects of the book is that the kids were very concerned whenever they were telling an adult about what they were up to, that they not outright lie about Mm it um, and even find ways to carefully craft their words so that it's technically true, but in a, you know, the meaning is hidden. Yeah. Um, And they were worried about their, like the effects of their wishes on the town and the townsfolk mm -hmm. as well. Constantly. It was an undercurrent. Yeah, they're very conscious of the larger world. And I think that's so different from not only books about kids, but fantasy books. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when something is set in the real world and you bring out, you bring about a mysterious creature like an ugly wuggly. um, I mean, there is always that moment when they encounter the outside world and people are like, ah what's going on mm-hmm. um but these children are more concerned with making sure that like everyone is mentally okay yeah in encountering what it is mm-hmm. that they create they keep worrying about the town going mad yeah they keep worrying about people losing their yes. minds there's actually a lot of discussion of insanity throughout yes, the book a lot um which is intriguing mm-hmm. yeah i don't know do you think that there's a connection between truth and lie and magic and reality within the book like, they always want to be honest, but then when they do say what actually happened, i.e. a magic ring turned her invisible, as opposed to, oh, she's sleeping at a friend's house tonight. Mm. Um, I don't know. Does magic equal lie and reality equal truth? I don't know, because magic isn't treated as bad in the book at all. It's just treated as different, wondrous, something interesting. Yeah. So I, I don't think that necessarily magic is equated with lying they wish that they could be 
honest about the magic, right. but they have to protect people. So that kind of common good outweighs the need for honesty. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, they, they're open to telling people about what's been going on. And they, they just try have to make sure that times. they'll believe them. Yes. Um, and, and that they won't, uh, yeah, commit the children to, uh, mental institutions. Well, another interesting component of the truth lie dynamic is that the narrator is often popping up and telling us things. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're not totally sure whether those are truths or lies. I mean, Mm -hmm. ranging from the narrator talking about their childhood or something that they remember that relates to what the kids are up to, um, you know, starting to go off into a reminiscence about, Oh, there was this lovely pond that I would rest by. And then like, well, this isn't a story about my life. Yes. (laughs) Um, or talking about how the narrator, you know, chose to believe the children. I guess that's actually, I think that's it. I think it's because the whole framework of the book is that the narrator is an adult, an elder who the children came to and decided to share their story with Mm. and chose to believe them and present the magic as fact. Because one of the last lines in the book is about, you know, well, these are facts. Right. Yeah. They must be believed. That's a good, that's a good point. That makes a lot of sense. So revisiting this as adults, um, let's talk about our experiences. Um, did you read this book as a child? If I did, I don't remember. Don't remember at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I mean, this brought back, I think most because of the pictures, uh, which are very charming. I like them a lot. This brought back a lot of memories of things like the secret garden or... Yeah. Um, even illustrated fairy tale books illustrated in this kind of classical British style. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if I would a little princess too. The illustrations are really similar. Yes. I, I uh, don't know if I would have been able to read this as a kid. I don't think I would have been able to understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, which goes to your point about books that are written about children, but that are really more for older people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe if I were a British child, it would be easier to understand, but maybe not. Um, Either way, I really enjoyed reading it this time. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, I read this book as a child. (laughs) (laughs) I am not like you. (laughs) I loved this book when I was young, and I do think that the illustrations make it more accessible for children than if it didn't have them, especially because some of what transpires is so outlandish. Uh, something like the ugly wugglies. Mm-hmm. The picture was very or, good for that. Yeah. Or the hall of wishes. Um, or Mabel getting tall. Mabel being tall. Yeah, right. That's a good picture. Switching to 12, being 12 meters high, but not gaining any weight. Right. <laughs> Thinning out. They stretched. keep referring to her as worm-like. Yes. Which is so gross. <laughs> Poor Mabel. But yeah, wonderful pictures of all that. It reminded me a lot of the series of Oz books, which mm. I also okay. adored yeah. as a kid, um, but would have really confusing characters and creatures mm-hmm. that peopled the land of Oz um, that I wouldn't totally be able to picture in my mind's eye until I actually saw an illustration. Um, and yeah, I think that they, they're by H.R. Miller, um, who was a Scottish artist and illustrated, I think, all of Inez Bitt's books mm, okay. um, that were deemed children's books at the time. Um, 
and they're excellent. Yeah, we'll put we'll put some up on our uh, website with this episode, some of our favorites, so you can look at them too. Also, I wanted to mention this at the outset, but since this book is more than 100 years old, it is in the public domain, and there are free PDFs and audiobooks that of you it can easily find available online. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this really cool project called LibriVox that is made up of volunteers who are trying to record as many books as possible and get them online for LibriVox folks. shout out. Yeah. LibriVox shout out. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I listened to part of, part of the Enchanted Castle with the LibriVox recording and it was recorded by a gentleman named Peter and he did a great job <laughs> with all of the voices, <laughs> distinguishing the children from one another. You know, you can tell he's not a professional voice actor, but, but, but he, good, he did a great job. Yeah. So shout out to Peter. Um, yeah, so easy to check out for yourself if you're interested without even having to go to the library. You don't have to get off your butt. When I got to the uh, Ugly Wugglies illustration, the first one, I had a, a rush of memories come back. And I remembered how much this book actually scared me when I was a kid um, because it is frightening. There's actually a lot of dangerous and alarming things that happen to the children, not least of which is not getting their tea in time, which happens multiple <laughs> They're times. They're always so hungry. So hungry. That's truly horrifying to me as a, you know, just a rolling around, happy, privileged little kid. Like the thought of yeah. someone not you know, no food being out there you, for me. But they also lose their dinner themselves, which is on them. True. At the very beginning of the book, no less. Yes. Uh, that's before they can make, become hardened adventurers. And yes. Constantly mm-hmm. talking about where their next meal is yeah. coming from. Uh, but it, it reminded me say, of the feeling of being a little kid where you can't yeah. just get food whenever. Like well, if I get hungry now, I can go to a million places and get it. <laughs> and I think that of, throughout the book, it it feels realistic in the way the way that the kids spend their days and live their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, author does a good job of mentioning when they need to. Okay, now they have to walk somewhere else to accomplish this thing, and mm-hmm. they have to remember that they need to go back home in time for you know whatever they're expected, whatever time they're expected by. Um, and there's actually a ton of just running around in the book because. Like, think about how far the estate is in the yeah, they got beginning. their exercise. Um, although they do get lost, so maybe there's some extra walking, stuff fumbling around. <laughs> um, but it's great. It's like the perfect summer mm-hmm. for yeah. a kid. Um, well, if you're an outdoorsy, adventurous type of kid. We were um, when we were little. Which we it, were. It would have yeah. been a very fun. And having yes. places to explore. I mean, mm-hmm. we would make anything into a place to explore really Our anything parents would if we were going to stay in a hotel to visit for like a family member's a relative's graduation or i don't know something something basketball going game. on yeah a basketball game <laughs> our cousin was a basketball player um we would make the hotel into our full stomping ground, uh, much the annoyance, I'm sure, of everyone who worked there and stayed there. <laughs> we never got yelled at, though. We well, were we weren't good at, loud. like, skirting around. We were, we were always sneaky. We were yeah. very sneaky. Uh-huh. Yeah. We just wanted to um, get out and check everything out. And explore. Yeah. Um, and there was, we're from Illinois, um, and there was this incredible hotel called Joomers that's in central Illinois. They had like big taxidermy bears and... And suits of armor. Yeah. um, And really rich 
uh, just decorating schemes. It like did kind of seem, gold and burgundy and dark wood. Yeah, it did kind of seem like it was a medieval, post-medieval style. Yeah, it was. Nice, you know, castle or something. Very yeah, strange. it was. Yeah. It was incredible. I can't remember. I think it was a chain or a small chain. It's out of business now. Um, and they also had the best like, cinnamon bread that I... I've ever had in my life. Oh, Leave it to me to focus on that. About the cinnamon bread. Um, yes, that yes, you could get at dinner time. Uh, anyway, I had flashbacks to things like that rereading it, and that's one reason why I loved rereading it mm. so much. Not just the gorgeous writing, which I definitely appreciate now more than I did as a kid. Um, it is a longer book, and I do think there are sections that to a younger child can be kind of like, oh, okay, I'm getting a little lost and confused mm -hmm. and because the magic is so ethereal um and there are these moments of uncertainty where it's like what is happening yeah, um, there's where really it's not no clearly describing the strings right well more than that i think that the way magic is structured in the book is a sort of you believe what you will about how it works kind mm, of vibe. Yes. Um, it's very mysterious. It is mysterious. The ring takes on whatever role its wearer determines for it. And then it's found to be maybe the only magical thing in the book. But then mm. at the same time, there's all the statues that still. Well, but the ring made without them. it. Yeah. But. And they go back to normal after she unwishes everything. But then it feels like there's still. To me, at right, least. Because someone like, created the ring. Well, yeah, there's some other larger force, mm -hmm. obviously. Like, who came first, the ring or the godlike magical the, entity? The chicken wing <laughs> or the chicken ring the chicken or the wing. egg wizard? <laughs> chicken wing or the egg wizard? Uh, think about it, let us know. That's the title of my autobiography. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if it's possible for you to mumble more <laughs> and make words. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I like that approach to magic. We've talked a lot about magic, magical systems mm -hmm. um, on this podcast. Do we have, have we explicitly named a segment that? Because that should be a segment always. I magical systems. I always bring it up. Yeah, but we um, haven't officially. Well, now it is named and ordained. Now it's <laughs> making like a vague cross-like gesture. I guess that's my way of like being official. Um, yeah, so I'm, in, I'm into this one. I enjoyed it. And I think that it that also has to do with representing what it feels like to be a child where you're not Having sure exactly yeah. how things work and why they work the way they mm -hmm. do. And you try to find out, but you you don't always. Mm -hmm. And then you don't you don't always have the tools mm -hmm. to take charge even when you do understand how things work. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So into all of that. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. You know what I think it's time for? Time to have a snack, eating some pretend food. There's so much pretend food. No. <laughs> I always ask you not to sing. I always get too excited and I want to sing too. Okay, song's over. <laughs> I want this to be a special pretend food segment because, first of all, this definitely shaped my my obsession with, with fant fantasy food. There's so um, much. And... 
it's not something that the only thing that irritates me is that it's not often illustrated in the book. Yeah, which the, is they're, they're, you never really see any of the scenes when they're eating. Maybe you're just supposed to imagine the food for yourself. Yeah, I know. Um, but there's also two fun classes of pretend food, even within the book, because there is realistic pretend food that you know the kids are just eating in a fantasy novel, mm-hmm. and then there's the food of the gods that they have at the special banquet, which the I, moonlight is like, banquet with all the statues. Yeah, some very magical. Very magical. I prefer the realistic pretend food, though, because you can imagine yourself really eating it. And that's what that's what food's all about. <laughs> it's eating. <laughs> what? Okay, that's what reading what food is all about to you is what you're saying. <laughs> no, I just it's. Or you were just saying something. <laughs> I didn't really mean anything. And then you tried to analyze it. <laughs> Okay, we're. I don't know why your energy is dying down as we're going into pretend food. You should be <laughs> pumped. Here are you, the foods in this book. You shut down my song, and then my energy just all got glomped. Here are the foods in this book that I am personally invested in. Invested in it. one buns. Buns. <laughs> Madeline knows this because I texted her earlier. You know we're covering in a good. We're covering a good book. Oh my gosh, I'm too excited. I can't speak. You know we're covering a good book when it has led me to this page, and I was on the Wikipedia page for bun types. I think it was just types of buns, um, and it spanned all cultures and geographical regions. And it's a great Wikipedia it made page. Me want buns in particular, bao like so much. I love bao. Oh, yeah, that was really good. Um, and what I concluded from my time on this page was that I think there are many different types of buns in this book um, because there's so many different situations where they say they bought buns or got buns or found buns. Well, it's a very British food item, right? Yeah, and there's many different British types of buns. That's what I was researching on the types of buns buns, page. Buns, 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 buns. Yeah, if you thought this would be our episode where we say buns 50 times. Buns. You were right. How do you say buns in British, Grace? (laughs) Buns. (laughs) That's this is written in British English. I, I thought mean. you had said it had it. No, that was scones. Scones. Oh, yeah, scones. Not, not scones. 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 <laughs> I'm preparing for the afternoon tea I'm having in London next week. No, she kept saying that. It's too fancy now. Um, yeah, so there are, I think, savory buns as well as sweet buns in England, but. Primarily, they're sweet. Hot cross buns, I actually saw for the first time in my bun search, as I'm calling it, which are just little sweet buns with hard sugar of glaze icing on, them. Yeah. on top. Just a single X across the top. And they're spiced. Not enough icing. That's why they're hot. Um, and I, I just liked imagining these kids with an endless supply of different little sticky buns everywhere mm-hmm. that they went. Um, and there's also the great part when Gerald is alone in London waiting for the ugly wuggly and James who has become an old rich man <laughs> yes. um, to emerge from their banking offices or whatever it is that they're doing. And he just starts, he actually commissions a boy to buy buns for him, which was mm-hmm. a confusing move in my mind. I don't understand why he didn't just buy buns himself. Well, cause he didn't want to miss them leaving. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Not related to food. Quick, just sideline. Every time someone becomes invisible, they refuse to believe that they're invisible. Even though if you were invisible, you would instantly know. Especially because the things on them turn invisible. Yeah, everything is invisible. Your line of sight, your line of sight doesn't just 
avoid your entire body. I mean, I, mean, I unless almost you're staring at the ceiling. Even then you can see like your right. eyebrows and right. the, your nose. It's weird. Unless you have extremely protruded eyes, in which case, I, th- I mean, I always see my nose. <laughs> extremely protruded No. Eyes. <laughs> unless you have snail eyes that are on little stalks. <laughs> okay. No, I just, I can always just, I wear glasses too. So I just, you know, I always see other parts of my. And I know it's just done for narrative effects that they can be like, what? I'm not invisible. And the other kids are like, you are, look in the mirror. And then they're like, ah, that's important. (laughs) We need to have those moments. Um, Especially in the case of their like ridiculous stereotypical caricature of a maid. Um, Eliza. Eliza. (laughs) Eliza's rough. Yeah. Steal stuff from them. Yeah. She speaks incogni. Eliza made the book feel like a little classist yes, to me. I think so. Um, and there were moments that that vibe came out at the fair um, and while Gerald is in London. Mm-hmm. And it's something that as Americans, it's hard for us to understand um, because in England, things are so richly defined by things like your schooling, you know, whether it's public or private. Um, and even just like as a child where you live, mm-hmm. like these kids are on a country estate for the holidays. Um, and and think, then I there mean, are working kids in, right. in London. And I think it's the same way in America. It's just that people go to great lengths not to talk about it and pretend it's not true. So it yeah. just becomes very confusing and muddled. Yeah. And I think in the U.S. it's also um, like more regionally defined. Yeah, it's different in different regions. Yeah. U.S. has a lot more space. It's got yes. a lot more different cultures in it. Okay. Other food. I can get me back to my list. I just Other remember that. Too. Oh, go no, ahead. I don't want to stomp on you. No, your, go ahead. This is gross food. It's when they said that the treacle sandwiches were oh. grody. I just remember that. Because treacle just means like sugar, right? Like syrup kind of Treacle molasses. is a dark syrup that's similar to molasses. Okay, yeah, and he said they were like really hard and stiff, and I was just like, oh, Yeah, remember we talked really about gross. treacle tarts. Terry Pratchett, for, I think. Um, no, I don't think it was more. Was, was it? I think it was more. More, okay. Um, yes, uh, that sounded bad, and I loved how good Inez was at writing like subtle burns, and I feel like she was uh, great at talking about how bad those dry treacle toasts were. Once they got Mademoiselle to try one, they didn't have to eat them anymore. (laughs) I I also love when they're putting on the play and the narrator says, you can probably imagine what Beauty and the Beast being put on by four children who spent the afternoon procuring costumes instead of rehearsing is like. (laughs) And yet the audience was delighted. I was just like, yeah, "Yeah, we put on so many plays like that when we were children. 90% 90% making the stage and putting together costumes and 10% improv. Yes. <laughs> like, yes, there was no scripting improv. or any, you know, we would, we there would be a lot of like, sometimes, Patrick, Patrick, come on. Yeah, exactly. You're, you go here. Or like we'd staring write, at like, each other. <laughs> we'd write like the first few lines for a scene and then we'd just be like, go from there. Yeah. yeah we're mm-hmm. master actors. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we'd, as soon as our parents got home from their, you know, 14 hour days, we'd be like, get in the bedroom. <laughs> We're putting on a play. <laughs> or we'd make them watch the videotape. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, that felt very true to life. I appreciate that. Continuing on the food list. 
the pretend meats that they all eat um, when they first meet Mabel. There's actually very little meat in the book. No, they like the the minced veal or the... The minced veal and then the pretend meat that they have when they're with Mabel is it. I think that's what I'm thinking of, yeah. Because this was another point I wanted to make. Almost all the food they eat is sweets in the entire book. So maybe it's less noticeable for you because that's what you would like life to be like. Um, Sounds great. But I noticed how little savory food there was once they actually got into the, you know, the bulk of the story. Once things were moving along, it was always like... They bought a bunch of candy and ginger beer. They were the ones buying things. But then even when they were having a tea, like when Mabel first is reunited with her aunt and Mm -hmm. they have tea, it is um, like bread pudding and uh, scones, I think, cream, jam. Um, And it's the same way for pretty much the rest of the book. I guess maybe they only describe teas um, and Suppers is supper yeah, lunch. I, I really didn't I notice supper is lunch. They stopped eating. It's, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I I was worried by the end. It was like they are not getting the nutrients that they need for their growing bodies. Um, so that was a concern of mine. But I love that pretend meat that they have. Uh, I'll set the scene very quickly. They Mabel is still tricking them at this point she's pretending she's a princess um and she brings them into the castle and says oh now that i've woken up from my hundred years of sleep i'll feed you and she goes away and comes back with a tray of bread and cheese um and they're like oh i thought it would be something more exciting you being a magical princess and all and she says, oh, but this food is magic. It becomes whatever you wish it is. And then makes them all engage in an emperor's new clothes type situation where they eat roast chicken and roast beef and potatoes. Um, but it's actually just dry bread mm-hmm. and cheese. And uh, Mabel, who, God, I just, I love her so much. <laughs> well, we'll do that as Lady Meter next. Yes. <laughs> We're going to talk about Mabel. Um, is she is a master actress, unlike uh, our childhood selves, um, and uh, yeah, forces them to really commit to the entire thing. Even when Jimmy, at one point, is like, "Um, this is a game, right?" And she's like, "Jimmy calls out, know <laughs> what you're talking about." <laughs> um, yeah. So other foods I enjoyed. I mean, I think we've pretty much touched on everything at this point. But that should fe- be the name of your autobiography. Other foods we've enjoyed. <laughs> The Feast of the Gods should be mentioned, although yeah. it's only really talked about in vague terms. Yeah, but it's and it God seems food. kind of like it's also made of marble. Right, yeah. exactly. That's uh-huh. what I was thinking about. Yeah. Um, because Kathleen says, oh, if you're as hungry as I am, you know, you'll become a statue so you can join the feast. Mm-hmm. Side, another, another sidebar. I can't believe that they managed to just become human again in the morning. When they all choose to become statues, yeah, I was sure I was like, it was some kind of trick. Have you learned nothing from all the other worried. magic in this mm-hmm. book? Yeah, I thought something sinister was going to happen. But I, I guess the remember. gods really did just want to hang out with them. Yeah, they wanted some human friends, yeah. which is fine. Chilling. Humans can be interesting, I guess. Um, yeah, so maybe that food was just marble and it uh, wasn't all that good to begin with. Mm-hmm. I don't want to eat marble. It sounds painful. Real, it sounds life-ending <laughs> in most cases. Painful, possibly <laughs> At the fatal. very least, teeth-ending. Oh, yeah. All right, are we closing pretend food? I think we've just taking our last bites, putting our dishes everything. away. Yes. Sip. Oh, I'm literally sipping on tea, actually. <laughs> Some very nice chamomile tea, but great nothing so rich as anything that these children enjoyed. 
I'm not good enough for that. Children. Badass ladies. Yeah, yeah. I love Mabel. I think that she is resourceful, creative, um, very brave, very mm-hmm. courageous. Yeah. Uh, I love the moment when Gerald is making her help him escort the ugly wugglies. And he's not afraid because he's wearing the ring. And a side effect of special non fear. Yeah, the ring takes away all your fear. Mabel is a little child surrounded by these big ugly wugglies who are speaking and they don't know if they're gonna like attack them or their mouths um and spoiler they do attack them Mm -hmm. um so that's really really a lot to ask and gerald realizes that at the end after he takes the ring off Mm -hmm. and he's paralyzed by fear as these collections of paper mask faces and coats broomsticks start attacking them Mm -hmm. um and I love that she uh, says that she'll have a dumb husband so that, and she'll never write any male men into her books. Yeah, yeah, she's going to be a writer and she's only going to write about heroines um, because the boys at that point are being really sexist and saying that yeah, they'll have a wife lame who can't talk. And only um, will do what they tell them to do. Yeah. I mean, they're being little little kids. I know, like, but I, still, it was gross. I, yeah, it, it was still unwarranted and the girls didn't start it the boys mm-hmm. did yeah um so i really yeah mabel's the one where it's like i'm curious to see what she'll you know be when she grows I up i did kind of imagine that mabel was a bit of a cipher for the author yeah i think so yeah. um and, and uh, I just, I she's mean, always trying to make her life more interesting yeah and which i i respect i mean kathy was just less interesting for me she is less interesting she comes off as um a bit more of a follower. Um, she's very concerned with propriety. Yeah. She's also very um, kind and caring and attentive, mm-hmm. which are valuable qualities. Um, and she's often the, if not the moral center, because Gerald is really the moral center, but Kathleen is really the the motherly figure of mm. the group. Like yeah. she's making sure people are okay. That's true. Um, she needs mothering too. Cause she, she seems pretty child. young. Yeah. Um, you know, in the group, she easily comes off as the youngest feeling to mm-hmm. me. Um, but she's also up for adventuring. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does everything that the other characters do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one, heartbreaking scene when Jimmy who at this point is an old rich man has gone to London with the ugly wuggly and Gerald has followed them to keep track of Jimmy and Kathleen and Mabel are like I guess we'll have a tea party to try to make ourselves feel better yeah to feel like normal (laughs) I have this horribly sad really sad Dour tea party. With dolls. Um, and they also comment that, like, it better be pretty strong tea if we can <laughs> get through. And I love that detail. I thought that was super yeah. funny. There are lots of, like, laugh out loud moments like that, in this definitely. book. And that was definitely one of them. Uh, who's your baddest lady? Mabel as well? I agree with the Mabel analysis. I'd like to rate her a show so big and grand that is worthy of her far-reaching and diverse talents. I will rate her a snake person. (laughs) What? (laughs) You have to cover with jackets and leaves. 
Oh, a, wor- a worm person. I thought they okay. called her serpentine at one point. Okay, I forgot. I just didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> I was like, I don't think there was a snake person in the But book. nevertheless, then becomes a statue because their friend asked them to. <laughs> I need to think about these before <laughs> you should. So I guess to wrap things up, let's answer the question. Is this book more for adults or for children or does it not matter? I think we can probably agree that it doesn't matter. That it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm, I yes. love forcing you along <laughs> to where I'm trying to go. No, I didn't mean to lead you. No, um, I mean, I do think it doesn't matter. When I said that I, I don't think I would have been able to read it. I mean, I read books that were hard when I was a kid. I just more was thinking as I was reading it how witty it is and how it just Mm -hmm. doesn't seem like it was made only for children so yeah in conclusion it doesn't matter everybody can read this book yeah i loved it as a kid i um it's very clean i think that this book is um historically important especially if you're interested in um just visiting the roots of modern ya fantasy and children's fantasy um and beyond that um just fantasy in general i mean something that helped form the chronicles of narnia i think should get more attention than it does um because i uh, yeah i was surprised by how little there was about this book or about ina's bit on the internet mm-hmm. um and she is she's an interesting figure i mean when she was young she did a lot politically and in literary circles um i think that the world should explore Inez bit more. Um, I think The Enchanted Castle is a great place to start and she has many other excellent books. Um, I think The Sign of the Amulet is one really popular one and then The Railway. Ugh, I'm just thinking, I'm just making this up. Um, there was a list. The Railway Children and The Story of the Amulet are mm. two other more popular books by Inez bit. Um, and uh, for whatever reason, this is the one we ended up with, probably because it had that castle on the front that I really liked. And I and the snagged it. name Enchanted Castle just sounds so fantastic. Yeah. How can you turn down the Enchanted Castle? Really? So before we go, I'll give a, another quick request. Review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Um, send us an email, dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. You can fill out a contact form there also and see art from the book. Um, we are also on Twitter at dragonbabiespod and Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast. And we put up pics of books and our cats and our nails sometimes. Nails check it out um and i think that's all i've got i didn't sing that time so it wouldn't mess up the music thank you i appreciate that uh i'm grace and i'm madeline and be sure to check back soon for a special edition episode grace goes to london the terry pratchett museum in salisbury england all right until then bye goodbye